0: Becky, look at her p- banner. It's beauty bit. Warning ah! this show contains adult content, strong language, mature themes, discussions of sexuality, politics, triggers, and <gasps> feminism. Listener discretion and/or earphones are advised. <laughs>
1: Hey, welcome to Bitch3, the podcast about badass women in history who aren't in the history books because of angry little men. Hi, I'm Kelly, and I'm a rabid feminist.
0: Hi, Kelly, I'm
1: Lisa. I'm a feminist, too, but I've had my shots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just roaming around, (laughs) spreading it, ruining society with great glee. Right on. I mean, society's doing a good job of ruining itself, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. They're doing a lot of the mm. heavy lifting for us, thanks to mm. um, toxic masculinity and the incels and the Republicans in general. Just the Republican parties and a lot of the heavy lifting. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
0: <laughs> You're much more polite than I am. I don't want to thank them for anything.
1: Oh, well, I mean, for sure. I do want all their dicks to rot off. So I'm in solidarity with you there. I, mean, I <laughs> assume that you don't care if their dicks rot off.
0: <laughs> you know, I don't play on that team, so I try not to throw stones. But, you know, I can't uh-huh. disagree. I can't disagree on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I anyway. like to throw stones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to throw stones or talk to us about anything, you can tell us in emails at the coolest email address ever at heybitches at net. You can also visit anchor.fm forward slash bitchstery. And if you feel so inclined, you can click the support button for us. Yeah, we appreciate that.
1: Thank you to our supporters. Um, And please share the pod with your like-minded friends. Um, And to be clear, we do have some male listeners. I don't hate men. I'm married to one, and he's great. I just hate assholes. And I don't want all the dicks to fall off, just the aforementioned groups. But generally speaking, we are a dick-friendly podcast. So if you're enlightened enough to be listening, then right on, brother. (laughs) Fist bump or whatever it is guys do
0: gonna take all of us gentlemen
1: yes yeah <laughs> uh but there's room for all of us at in Bitstopia. indeed <clears throat> you know who i will not be inviting now? who's that um chinese spy balloons putin <laughs> uh kim jong-un although i feel like he's been pretty quiet lately donald most of congress lisa i miss current events
0: i know but we're not very disciplined when we
1: do it <laughs> I
0: <miss laughs> too, but i don't know if our <laughs> listeners do <laughs> like scream for the better part of like 45 minutes
1: I know um no our numbers are definitely better now which is great but I'm sad but I watched um the view today while I was getting ready I was like oh I wonder if this is how our listeners felt when we did <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah I don't watch the view I like stresses me out to hear people sh- shouting over one another whether I... I agree or disagree that's why I can't watch news that has like switched to a panel format
1: oh god yeah
0: it's very stressful it's a lot
1: Yeah, when they have the two little windows up and are just, yeah. I mean, I agreed with a lot of what was being said at the table. I haven't watched the view in years until this morning. Um, Nothing's changed. They're still talking over each other, like, constantly. And that's sort of been, like, it's trademark. And I don't know why that's a successful trademark. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad we don't do that. I mean, that's... (laughs) Just teasing. teasing. I... Yeah, I do talk over you sometimes, sorry. Well, we but we have microphone delay to blame. Well, it is hard when we're not in the same room, because I can't, because you can see when you're going off somebody's, you know, visual cues, you can tell when somebody's done. Uh, yeah, it's a whole different ballgame, so. Yes, Agreed. yeah. Well, let's talk about someone cool instead of assholes.
0: <laughs> let's do it. Hey, okay. you pick. How about da, 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 da,
1: Josephine Baker? like this is just impromptu yeah <laughs> so
0: the show this week boys yeah
1: exactly um josephine baker you know i know the name i know she was beautiful but shockingly no one ever taught me about her in high school or college and y'all i took black history so professor lisa lead the way
0: okay so she came to the forefront in what is kind of known as the Great Migration to Manhattan or to New York or to cities in general. Um, at, during the 18 like late 1860s, 70s, you know, after the Civil War, during Reconstruction, there was a lot of Jim Crow laws and a lot of bullshit still going on, of course. So um, a lot of African Americans decided to move to cities because they were just less, um, I don't know, Jim Crow-y. But um and it's part
1: of history I literally have never heard of before until <laughs> doing this show. You know what I mean? Like yeah. nobody ever thought about it. Anyway, didn't mean to interrupt you all view style there, but I had to say.
0: <laughs> um so one of the neighborhoods that a lot of African Americans started coming to is in northern Manhattan. Um, And it's called Harlem and it was an upper white class neighborhood in the 1880s, but it was just rapidly, it was overdeveloped. And so there were a lot of empty buildings and a lot of landlords seeking to fill them. So, you know, a lot of people moving to the city and they had empty buildings. And so, you know, maybe they wouldn't have been welcomed so warmly, not that they were sort of warmly welcome, but allowed to live in these buildings, but they just, they needed people in there basically. So, um, you know, in the early 1900s, a few middle-class black families, um, you know, moved to Harlem and then, you know, other black families joined and, you know, and white residents, you know, they weren't too thrilled about it. So, what? Um, what? Yeah. so eventually they're just like, you know, we're out, we're moving to, you know, lower. East I... yeah. so by white people. So they kind of left this, you know, a lot of uh, more buildings open. So more black people started moving in there. And also, you know, in 1915 and 1916, there was like tornadoes and locusts and all kinds of natural disasters in the South. And so a lot of black workers and people who were sharecroppers were out of work. So um, they started moving to the cities and, you know, during world war one, a lot of GIs were off. So there were a lot of recruiters that went to the South to entice black workers to come work at their companies. Cause again, there were no, there was nobody. Right. Um, and so by 1920, um, there were some 300,000 African Americans from the South that had moved there. And Harlem was one of these you know popular destinations. Um, and, you know, with, you know, a large that a large group of people, they brought a lot of culture with them, a lot of music that they brought from the south, from Louisiana and stuff like that. And one of the most popular places was the Cotton Club. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Savoy opened in 1927. It had an integrated ballroom, which was unusual at that time. And so during this time, there was not a lot of Jim Crow laws in the north. Because people are like, oh, there's black people, they're going to rent this, and they're going to work in the factories, and they're going to, like, clean stuff. And people are like, oh, good, because we don't want to do that. And they're like, but they also want to go to the parks. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. So <laughs> then they just had to fuck things up by making more Jim Crow laws. But anyhow, at this point, you know, everything was okay. Well, okay-ish. Yeah, um, ish. They had an integrated ballroom with two bandstands, and they had continuous jazz and dancing, you know, well past midnight. Uh, they had battling bands and everything and it was very fashionable to frequent these nightclubs not only for the black people in that neighborhood but um for you know white hipsters as well
1: i was just gonna say the hip white people yeah.
0: <laughs> yes That's funny. so the hipsters went there as well um everything was going swimmingly and then the <laughs> stock market crashed in 29 well fuck. and then the great depression started and then um in 1933 prohibition ended And so a lot of the reasons why the hipsters went to Harlem was no longer, you know, valid. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, you know, the Renaissance sort of ended then. Uh, And by 1935, a lot of residents had to move to seek work and, you know, things like that. And in 1935, there was actually a race riot that broke out. And Mm -hmm. it was sort of um, a young shoplifter resulted in three
1: dead. You know, there was a whole riot
0: and, you know, all that stuff. Wait, did
1: that happen this last month or in 1935? (laughs) Because I don't think...
0: Since 1935, I should have made a tomato. Yeah. Okay, great. So during that time, um, you know, a lot of the reasons why African-Americans left the South um, were no longer relevant because it was just like a lot of problems that had followed them to the North. So a lot of, um, you know, creative people, people who could afford it, people who had made some money during the Harlem Renaissance um, started moving to Europe and specifically creative centers like Paris. There's a lot, there's a lot of, um, you know, books and documentaries about a lot of painters, black painters that, you know, their work is in Paris. Um, and so they started moving there like sort of in the, in the twenties, um, a lot of creative people and, you know, things again, were, you know, if I could pick, you know, a, a an era in time to go back to,
1: I'd say like twenties Paris is sort of for real Uh, or at the top yeah just to kind of see see somebody strolling down the street with their cheetah like (laughs) well I want that to I want that to be me if we're being honest but
0: exactly so um you know and of one of those people that one of those creative types who came to Paris
1: um is the lady that we're talking about today Josephine Baker oh is it my turn yeah yep Josephine Baker was born Frida Josephine McDonald, naturalized as French Josephine, naturalized in French as Josephine Baker. Um, She was born in 1906, died in 1975. She was born in America, um, but her career was mostly in Europe due to the fact that the United States treated her like shit. Shocking. Um, (laughs) So she was one of many artists that. Migrated to Paris, um, she was among the most celebrated performers to headline the Folies Bergère. And then um, there's a lot of French in my notes that I'm either going to butcher or I'm going to skip. <laughs> um, I probably I think could you're especially say. I'm excited about this show because it'd give you a lot of opportunity to talk to, like Pepe Le Pew, which I know you like. In Folie, in 1927, <laughs> caused a sensation in the city. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um. Uh, oh. Uh, let's see. Actually, that very thing. Her costume for that was a short skirt of artificial bananas and a beaded necklace, and that was it. <laughs> so that became this iconic image of both the Jazz Age and the Roaring Twenties. Um, and it it was. I would think it was kind of scandalous, but it was in Paris where they liked the tits, and so. They said, Louis, you can just let them be out. Um, (laughs) She was celebrated by artists and intellectuals of the area, area, era, who variously dubbed her the black Venus, the black pearl, the bronze Venus, the Creole goddess, um, among others. Uh, Let's see. She had a whole bunch of husbands, which I won't get into. (laughs) Um, mm -hmm -hmm. And I don't want to get too much into the war but she she did have a role um I'm, I'm I can't skip this like she was awarded an award after the war and it was the Claude Guerre. <laughs> <laughs> anyone who's actually French who listens to this absolutely hates me and wants me to be quiet but um
0: sticking a sharp stick in their ear
1: mm-hmm. anyway I'm gonna I'll get back to the the war in a bit but um okay in Oh, I guess just recently, she was interred in the Pantheon in Paris, the first black woman to receive one of the highest honors in France. Hmm. Her resting place is in Monaco. Um, let's see. She was actually buddies with um, Prince Monaco, Prince Rainier of Monaco and his his bride queen grace kelly um which is interesting to me because my grandfather is a doppelganger for prince rainier um let's see um part of the reason that she ended up in paris was obviously because the united states was just racially fucked up at that time um when she in 1917 she was 11. She witnessed racial violence in East St. Louis, and in a speech years later, she recalled what she had seen and said, I can still see myself standing on the west bank of the Mississippi looking over into East St. Louis and watching the glow of the burning of Negro homes lighting the sky. We children stood huddled together in bewilderment, frightened to death with the screams of the Negro families running across this bridge with nothing but what they had on their backs as their worldly belongings. So with this vision, I ran and ran and ran. Um, When she was 12, she had dropped out of school. At 13, she worked as a waitress at a place called the Chauffeur's Club. She lived... Um, as a street child in the slums of St. Louis, I guess she had a difficult relationship with her mother. Um, she slept in cardboard shelters, scavenged for food and garbage cans, made a living street corner dancing. Um, in, at the chauffeur's club, she met um, Willie Wells and then married him when she was 13. That lasted a whole year. Her her personal life is kind of riddled with with struggles like that. Um Like I said, she didn't have a great relationship with her mother. Um, Let's see her second husband. She got married when she was 15, left him when her vaudeville troupe was booked into a New York City venue and divorced in 1925. Um, Let's see her career. So. At the age of 13, she headed to New York during the Harlem Renaissance and performed at the Plantation Club, Florence Mills' Old Stomping Ground. After several auditions, again, she's 13, she secured a role in the chorus line of a touring production of the groundbreaking and hugely successful Broadway review, Shuffle Along, which I'm not familiar with because I hate musicals, but that's a whole other story um, that helped to bring public's attention um, bring to the public's attention Florence Mills, Paul Robeson, and Adelaide Hall. Um, In Shuffle Along, she was positioned at the end of the chorus line, um, but fearing that she might be overshadowed by the other dancers, at the age of 13, she's already thinking competitively, she used her position to introduce a hint of comedy into the routine, and it made her stand out, and um, ta-da. That was sort of like one of the sparks that ignited her career she transferred to the broadway production where she remained for several months until the show ended in 1923 the next review she went into was the chocolate dandies which i've never heard of um again she was cast in the chorus line Um, the show only ran for 96 performances and closed in 1925. um In 1925, she sailed to Paris and opened in La Revue Negre. I have never heard of that either. At the Théâtre de (laughs) Champs-D'Alice. She was 19 at the time. Um, In 1974, in an interview with The Guardian. The Guardian? The Guardian's been around that long? Wow. Okay. Okay. Baker explained that she obtained her first big break in the bustling city. No, I didn't get my first break on Broadway. I was only in the chorus in Shuffle Along and Chocolate Dandies. I became I became famous first in France in the 20s. I just couldn't stand America and I was one of the first colored Americans to move to Paris. Oh yes, Bricktop was there as well. Me and her were the only two and we had a marvelous time. Of course, everyone who was anyone knew Brickie. And they got to know Miss Baker as well. In Paris, she became an instant success for her erotic dancing and for appearing practically nude on stage, which would make many people popular, probably. After a successful tour of Europe, maybe not many people, I take that back. (laughs) You look like that. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, she broke her contract and returned to France in 1926 to star in Follies-Bergère, setting the standard for her future acts. Um, she became really, really popular and successful in France. Um, and then like all the big names of that era, like even talked about her. Ernest Hemingway called her the most sensational woman he ever saw. She was incredibly beautiful. I will say, um, the author spent hours talking with her in Paris bars, which is a crazy like scene in my head. Picasso drew paintings depicting her alluring beauty. Jean Cocteau Became friendly with her and helped vault her to international stardom. Um, let's see, Baker endorsed a Baker Fix hair gel, bananas, shoes, and cosmetics, among other things. She's good at
0: marketing as well.
1: <laughs> you no kidding. Um, French popular culture really embraced her much more. I, I don't. Where is the note that I was going to say? So she completely renounced her her U.S. citizenship. And became a, France, a French citizen. Um, she refused to play for segregated crowds. And I think there is a note in here at some point. I'm missing it at the moment. But she, something happened and she finally just said, you know what? Fuck you guys. <laughs> um, so French culture really embraced her. She starred in four films, um, which were only successful in Europe. I believe they were all silent films i think so um then she got a manager by the name of abettino and things started to really um go up from there as well uh let's see despite her popularity in france she never attained the equivalent reputation in america her star turn in a 1936 revival of ziegfeld Follies on Broadway was not commercially successful and later in the run she was replaced by Gypsy Rose Lee. Time Magazine (laughs) referred to her as a quote Negro wench whose dancing and singing might be topped anywhere outside of Paris while other critics said her voice was quote too thin and quote dwarf-like to fill the Winter Garden Theater. She returned to Europe heartbroken and that contributed to her becoming a legal citizen of France and saying, fuck you, to the United States. Can't really blame her. But stay tuned because things come around kind of full circle. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like during that time they're just used to seeing black people on film as, like, domestics or, you know, so. Yeah, anyway, with the F you. F you, 40s Hollywood. Or 30s Serious. Hollywood. Serious. And- <laughs> anyway, Hollywood. So yeah. you know, during thir- during the '30s, everything's going along nicely until, um, you know, the Nazis start their march
1: across. The fucking Nazis, and you know what? We're dealing with their fucking asses again.
0: Fuck. Yes. So many things. I don't know why we still have, but somehow we right. do. And they had, you know, I'm not gonna go too much into this because it's actually yeah. really long. Even though the campaign to like take over, um, France. Luxembourg, the Netherlands and Belgium, which they called the campaign against the low countries, quote unquote, only lasted six weeks. So, um, you know, France, it sort of well earned its lack of military prowess um, reputation. Um, but anyway. They signed an armistice in late June of 1940. And when they did, as they took over these countries, that left only Great Britain as the only country still fighting Nazi Germany until they wow. the army came. But wow. um, but the French were sort of, you know, half and half. The What they called the Vichy French, they were the ones who were allied with the Nazis. Um, and in the late 30s and early 40s, um, you know, there was a lot of the capitalist c- class in France. Now, if I wasn't on the radio, I'd be waving a big red flag. So everybody listen to this, take notes.
1: What, what oh. is Vichy? What is that? Vichy is just basically what they called the French that were, is that a city? Is that a, it's just a word. I think it's just a word.
0: Okay. Uh, it's ahead. like Vichy
1: sois, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway,
0: so the capitalist class um, they were so, you know, they were capitalists, so they didn't like socialism. They and they were so anti-Semitic um, that they thought that Hitler was preferable to their um, first premier, the premier who was Jewish. Again, I'm because, having a little
1: deja vu. What is? I know. I'm, wa- I'm waving mm-hmm. a big red
0: flag over here. Mm-hmm. In the radio, mm-hmm. so takes, you know.
1: Perhaps a cautionary tale is here. Hmm. Yes.
0: So the first black president, I mean, the first Jewish premier caused these people to sort of splinter off and say, you know, I don't want to pay my taxes and I don't like this black, I mean, Jewish person.
1: So, you
0: know, I'm just going to become radicalized and literally crazy. Um, So they, you know, they became allied with him. So nobody had really at this time heard too much about charles de gaulle you know he was a military person and by this time he was in his 50s if you've gone to paris you know they named the airport after him so everybody's heard of de gaulle Mm -hmm. now Mm
1: -hmm. but at
0: this time when they got defeated um he was in exile in london basically and bbc allowed him to broadcast on their radio station trying to rally the free french not the vichy french but the free french to fight for their country basically and he made like a very famous um, speech and address um, in June, June 18th, 1949. And basically, you know, telling the fight. And one of the famous quotes, um, De Gaulle said, Whatever happens, the flame of French resistance must not be extinguished and will not be extinguished. And this was the beginning of, you know, what we call the French resistance. Mm-hmm. And the French resistance, you know, even though they're resisting the Nazis, they didn't do it with guns, and they didn't do it with war. They didn't have those um, things at their disposal. They did it with, you know, stealth. They they um, sabotaged things like the power grid. They published underground newspapers. They passed along intelligence to Allied nations, um, letting you know, letting them know. And if you've ever read the book um, the Lost Girls of Paris, hmm. it's a good. It's a really good book. It's a really fun book. Um, it's it's a fictionalized book, but it's of something that really happened. Right. Britain and other countries realized that female spies were a lot more successful mm-hmm. because you know lonely GIs get dumb and slips <laughs> slips when drinking and see girls. Hey, <laughs> okay. sorry, lonely GIs, I don't need to. So true, though. I mean, okay, but also they just you know they don't. The Germans, especially, very misogynistic, and so they didn't suspect that women would be. Doing these, you know, high intelligence things right. like
1: this. Right.
0: So and so one of the spies that was
1: recruited was none other than Miss
0: Faker.
1: Le Josephine Becker. <laughs> she um, used her charm and her I don't know, looks and her um, She was she was famous people were, you know, kind of like, ooh, ah, la la. She used that to her um, advantage, and she passed information from the shitheads to (laughs) the (laughs) resistance. Um, I'm very technical when it comes to military history. Um, So um, I didn't really write down a whole bunch of details, but... Let's see. Um, let's she it says she lived in constant danger. She was almost arrested several times, including when the Nazis came to her home for an impromptu search. Um, that's enough to make a person piss their okay. banana skirt. Um, <laughs> she however, she... and she was black. I'm sure that was you know, went well oh, seriously, that's terrifying. However, she easily charmed them. it says, um, interjection. The movie Casablanca yes. is based on this kind of concept, isn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah I'm going to have to rewatch it now. Um. Anyway, she charmed the Nazis, go Joe, um, making them forget about the basement where several members of the resistance were hiding. I want to know how she did that. <laughs> mm. Charmed been- quotes, I don't know. I, right? I, but I seriously, I want to know what she did. If she was like, look at my tits, or if she, <laughs> I just want to know. Like, that is fascinating to me. I think I've always been fascinated with the idea of women spies. I just, I since I was about like a teenager, I thought, I want to do this exact thing, you know? Yes. Um, anyway, so, yeah. Anyway, so she distracted them from the basement and... Had she been caught, she would have faced imprisonment in a concentration camp or worse. And Probably, probably just shot her right then, oh, probably. Maybe. Um, they probably would have made some sort of horrible example out of her. True. She smiled her famous smile. Um, at the time, she was the most photographed woman in the world. That is insane. Um, the secret documents in her possession stayed snugly in place in her clothing, secured by a safety pin. Oh, she probably put them in her bra, so she can't just, like, whip out the tits because the secrets <laughs> are in there, so. Okay. Unless they were, like, down lower, so she's like, look at my tits, don't look any lower. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the secret, uh, in her clothing. Yeah, I guess that's it. Um. She became one of the most successful African-American performers in French history, a World War II spy, and an activist to boot who used her incredible platform to change the world. I don't think in our notes, we mentioned that she um, worked with Martin Luther King. Um, hold on a second. Yeah. I think it's in the next paragraph is isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, back to the United States. Maybe. No. Um. Yeah, so she came back to the United States, I'm reading out of two books and the notes right now. Um, I just want to make sure I don't miss this point. Because we just talked about the King sisters last show. When she returned to America for a performance at a New York club, she was enraged by the segregation laws still in place. She became a civil rights leader, marched along MLK alongside Martin Luther King Jr. in the March on Washington which is really cool. She was the only official female speaker of that day, and after King was assassinated, Coretta Scott King asked Baker to lead the movement, but she declined, stating that her children were too young and it was too dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in 1949, she was kind of reinvented, returned in triumph to Follies-Bergere, um, bolstered by recognition of her wartime heroism. Can you imagine the standing ovations? That would be cool. Oh my gosh she assumed a new gravitas unafraid to take on serious music and subjects and um the engagement was a rousing success and re-established her as one of paris's preeminent entertainers um, and then in 1951 she went back to the u.s um and got pissed off about the segregation blah 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 and then yeah the the honors that have been bestowed upon her during her life and posthumously are. I think numerous <laughs> we didn't actually list any of those but there's quite a few including um, NAACP's woman of the year in in 49 no 51 I don't know what year I gotta look <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so accomplished and like to read through these really doesn't do it justice so once again is there a movie about her because I'm all to, about the movie uh, the Liz- <laughs>
0: Oh, what's her name? Lynn, uh, I can't think of her name. Hang on, let me look. I can see, Lynn Whitfield. I think made it, didn't she make a movie about Josephine Baker? I don't
1: know. Uh, 1951, yeah, NAACP, Outstanding Woman of the Year 1951, because she refused to play to segregated audiences and said, I'm going back to Paris. (laughs) I assume
0: that's what she said. Anyway, she's like dragging her make along the floor, storming through the airport. Fuck it. Oh my God.
1: Whatever her cheetah's name was. She had a cheetah. That's one of the things we were referencing. Like she would just stroll the streets of the very hip and artsy Paris during the 20s with her fucking cheetah on a leash. Can <laughs> you imagine? My God.
0: Have you ever seen that picture of Salvador Dali walking his anteater?
1: Yeah. I love that. What a pet. That's bizarre. Yes. Um, anyway, okay. Justine
0: Baker's story. Yes. Lynn Whitfield is in it.
1: Okay, I'm going to have to look it up. Um, remember when we covered... Uh, I can't think of her name now. Sorry, this is a memory glitch, not a reflection on the dancer. The, the stripper, sexy... Dita uh, Montes. Yeah, Dita. And we were like, Vedette. What is a Vedette? <laughs> well, that word came up again in my notes. And I was like, I already know what that means. <laughs> Getting smarter before your very ears. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to check out this movie. When was this movie made? Uh 80s, I believe. That oh, probably sucks.
0: <laughs> but I like when we filmed.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um Awards um, the Resistance Medal in 1946 and the Croix de Guerre, which is the – um that stands for Cross of War, um, 1957, for her service in the French Resistance, which is just fucking badass. Why is there not another movie about her? Just one?
0: I know there needs to be more
1: like there's certain people in history where there's been like six different movies made about them. She's gorgeous. And she was a fucking spy. And she, she denounced her (laughs) citizenship. I mean, it's, it's juicy. Why is this not more of a thing? It's so weird. It's juicy. When she came back, like in the
0: fifties too, Mm -hmm. Joseph McCarthy, um, Accused oh her of harmony, harboring communist sympathies. What a fucking they, asshole! They, they revoked her U.S. visa, and so you know she went back. She went back to France again. But what? Uh, well, they
1: were probably pissed off that she left in the first place, but because they can't claim her, so it's, they can't
0: control you, her. She's like, "Fuck you! I'm going back to France with my." I'm cheetah. going back
1: to France, where they appreciate my tits and my talent and my contributions and my cheetah. And my cheetah. What was her cheetah's name? I got to look that up too. Hold on. Cheetah. Chiquita. Chiquita the cheetah. Ch- I and like she it. The, she wore the banana outfit. So are you seeing the whole theme here? I got it. Yeah. Well, she
0: was marketing bananas. So good for her.
1: Apparently. She
0: also, I guess, refused to accept any money for her espionage work. And in order, like... In order to sometimes get information or whatever, she had to, like, give some of her jewelry or sell some of her jewelry to get to finance these excursions. Um, She had a glamorous country home called the Chateau de Milans in the Dordogne region. Dordogne region. I don't know how to say that. But that was the base of operations for members of the French resistance as well as refugees who sheltered there. After (laughs) the war, she went to Germany to perform for the survivors of the Buchenwald death camp.
1: Mm, God.
0: lesson of the war years Freedom must be fought for every day After World War II She was, like you said, she was awarded the Resistance Medal By the French Committee of National Liberation The Cross of War By the French military And was named Chevalier of the Legion of Honor By Charles
1: de Gaulle By General Charles de Gaulle Wow That's crazy Yeah Wow Just wow, what a powerhouse of a woman
0: she and i also was reading i read this other article too that to, in order to um because she was traveling around um performing she would write she lay they would like write secret messages on her sheet music and invisible ink. oh yeah
1: right i remember so then reading she'd reading like that
0: yeah it. she'd pass off she'd pass off her sheet music and you know they could decode the messages and stuff like
1: that um Oh, E.E. Cummings, that's my favorite poet. I just saw him mentioned. He admired her as well. Um, I was looking to see, did she have children? Following the war, Baker spent most of her time at Les Milan's um, with her family. 47, she married French orchestra leader Joe Bouillon, Bouillon, and 50 began to adopt babies from around the world. Oh, my God. She was like so ahead of her time. She adopted 12 children in all. How many do Angelina and Brad have, Madonna? (laughs) Um, Creating what she referred to as her rainbow tribe and in her experiment in brotherhood. Um, She often invited people to the estate to see the children to demonstrate that people of different races could in fact live together harmoniously. That's interesting and like why more movies? Hello, Hollywood more movies need to be made about josephine baker seriously one in the 80s that's the best you got come on who can we cast as her oh my god i halle berry um yeah,
0: that's a good one <sighs> you know be a
1: little bit younger to start out though
0: who i think is gorgeous and like could probably ha- has definitely has a singing dancing talent as her
1: who the artist her oh. Her, oh, her. <laughs> like who? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really that familiar with her. Yeah. Um, she's right. Marketing she's got going for herself there but the mm. her thing. Um, yeah, seriously. I, I, I don't understand why there's not more movies. And I was telling Lisa before the show, like, i in looking at all the photographs taken of her, because she was the quote, most photographed woman in the world. Um, so many amazing costumes feathered skirts banana skirt whatever but this these photographs are so clear for the time that they were taken 20s 30s usually those are grainy these are beautiful they have to be like retouched somehow because they're absolutely crisp as I don't know it's weird (laughs) anyway i did not know any of that i knew that she was a singer and a dancer and that's all i knew so now we all know something yeah i definitely learned a lot in this crazy so i will be uh, crusading for a modern day film (laughs) about her i'll be rubbing elbows with all my movie maker friends that i don't have and um yeah yeah so that was a good one. Yeah,
0: I enjoyed it. I learned, like I said, I learned a lot. I don't I don't think I've ever seen a movie of hers. I've seen like performances of hers yeah. or whatever, like videos, but I, I've never watched yeah. a whole movie or anything.
1: Well, I think most of them were silent, which is kind of a yawn fest. <laughs> yeah, that's fun for a singer. And, well, yeah, and they're hard to watch to our, for me anyway, to my modern day internet wired <laughs> feed me brain, you know. <laughs>
0: so. I went to a silent movie one time. We had at a film festival.
1: Uh-huh. It was like
0: a Buster Keaton movie, and they had like a live piano in there, like a guy mm. playing. It was kind of cool.
1: I think that silent movies are amazing and fascinating, um, but they're just after a few minutes they're hard to watch. Like I don't know, but I I feel the same way about foreign movies. There's so many that I want to love. I'd rather read subtitles than hear bad overdubbing. Right. Which seems really common on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> but when you have to read um, subtitles and you have to really focus, which is something I am challenged by. Um, I'm looking at her banana costume and it looks like octopus tentacles. What is happening there? Have you seen I mean, it? Let me look here. It's in the... um. Spicecape article, there's a big picture of it. Okay, let me look. Interesting. That doesn't look like bananas, does it? Just there's like a lot of bananas hanging down. What?
0: She has like a skirt also like later I guess she had a skirt which is like all the bananas hanging down.
1: Oh, well maybe no, that says it's a banana skirt. I don't get it. That's banana. Uh, no award for the banana skirt in Kelly's book, but hey, no one asked me. <laughs> well, I'm back in that time in, in France.
0: It was like a lot of avant garde stuff going on, too, so it could have oh, been
1: you know. big time. Might have been some <laughs> double entendre going on. Hmm. Very likely. The French yeah. love their double entendre. <laughs> I like to say it. Um, I guess right. it would look more like bananas if you were there and it was yellow instead of like the sepia toned thing. Right, right. But yeah, I'm obviously going to have to do a deep dive on this skirt because it's not working for me. Yes. <laughs> it just it's looks like a there, little Because
0: like the banana skirt, you could look at Cheetah, Cheetah, Chiquita the Cheetah. On Chiquita that the Cheetah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Crazy, crazy times. Mm-hmm. All right, well... I think we've just learned ourselves out of an episode and um, scrolling down to the notes now. <laughs> That's it for this bitch historical, beautiful black episode of Bitch We hope it has made you a better costume designer.
0: <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed it and happy Black History Month to everyone.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Forgot about that. That's why we did this. Yeah. Um, and maybe this episode has, you know, made your skin clearer. <laughs> if it did, or if
0: it didn't, follow us on Instagram <laughs> at bitch pod.
1: And maybe you have healed your relationship with your mother and bananas. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I have not, but I like bananas. Um, but please leave us glowing reviews. <laughs> Remember to always check the show notes for cool info and links. Super so references there.
1: Yep. And please follow my other podcasts. Bitch-splaining and bitch-scopes. One is just chicks talking about world stuff and life and moms and relationships, and the other is astrology. So. You're the queen of the podcast, seriously. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be. God damn it. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Somebody call me and let's make this bitch... What What is the name of my empire? Bitch-topia-bitch-whatever call me motherfuckers and (laughs) say motherfuckers let's get a movie made about josephine baker because this just seems real juicy so yeah for sure anyway join us again next time i have to put on my movie voice join us again next time for an enlightening episode about badass women doing amazing things since forever and remember well-behaved women seldom make history
0: (laughs) So, have a great week, and go make some bitch tree.
1: God, I'm an idiot. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> Bye.